0: The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, Joe Gibbs builds a NASCAR electric cup car. The difference between battery chargers and maintainers... Carolina squatting your truck and Bud overthinks his truck. Plus today's special guest is Rick Humphrey, president of Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. Informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in folks, this is Bud Hughes, resident car nut and De Pasquale, upholstered to the stars Tim, how are you doing today? I'm great, Bud. How are you? I'm I'm just uh, excited to be doing another podcast. With oh you. yeah, I've uh, got a great guest today. Uh, we're gonna have good fun with him. You know, we are lucky to live in the part of Georgia. You know, in the in the country, mm-hmm. if you will. They haven't moved the city out here yet. Yet, it's on its way though. Well, I, I don't know, but we have such good police departments and uh, emergency emergency management people and things like that that help us out when we have. Storms and high winds and, you know, floods and all that kind of stuff, uh, keep us safe on the roads and, uh, the type of things that just, you know, make it glad to be in this part of the country. Oh, right. Do you know where some of those folks come from?
1: Linear technical
0: college. Absolutely. They've got a criminal justice technology program. Um, you know, it's uh, related to policing, corrections, juvenile justice, and the theory of criminal law. Uh, and they're designed to meet the current trends in criminal justice with a uh, flexible classroom and online-based curriculum that leads to many different uh, passages that uh, in the field of law enforcement. And uh, a lot of things that I didn't even know existed in law enforcement. And you can get behind the scenes and, and learn about those things and find out if there's a fit for you. Mm-hmm. And that could be that could be criminal justice. It could be fire science technology. Right. You know, EMTs, emergency management people who, when we have a disaster locally, these people jump in and, and coordinate things and make things happen. So this is something that Linear Tech is, is doing on a daily basis, is training people like this, you know, to get into these careers, these public safety careers. Mm-hmm. So check them out at lineartech.edu for these programs and many more. Sure. All right, moving on here. Joe Gibbs, racing team, has unveiled an electric cup series car. This is interesting. The the truth is finally out. It's not
1: only me that thinks that (laughs) after a while, these cars are way too loud. So they wanted to practice their uh, tire changes. Pit stops, yeah. Yeah, pit stops. Yeah. So they outfitted a race car with an electric motor so it would be quiet. Yeah. So that they could concentrate on yelling
0: at the team members oh. well i've been to many uh pit practices mm-hmm. as an observer and it is loud it is crazy and if you're not all wearing headsets uh it's just pandelirium, as they say <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> so this made perfect sense to me they got a couple motors in this thing uh, and a 480 pound battery pack and it's it's charged for 100 miles of driving Mm-hmm. So um, and they have definitely upped the game on uh, on pit stops. That's for sure. Yeah, that goes
1: to show you how much money is involved in this racing. Well,
0: you know when you can when you can do a pit stop in eight point six seconds, like or eight point nine seconds, like they did in Kansas City, it's uh, three seconds quicker than a typical stop, and that comes from practicing and changing your choreography. Uh, when these teams are doing these, you've seen the cameras hanging over the cars. They get oh, back. Yeah. To, they get back to the shop and they look at what went on because you can lose shoot you lose 10 positions in in uh three seconds right on pit lane so by the time you get in and get out and go the speed limit and don't get a penalty oh man i would be fumbling with those lug nuts <laughs> you don't have to worry about nuts now it's just one. Oh, you just got one on each wheel really yeah wow that's your speed but having this up. electric well what's going to happen is nascar's going to have a series or there's talk of it okay i don't know whether it's going to happen they're going to have thousand horsepower cars competing in 30 minute events which will be electric driven okay so uh 480 pound battery pack i'm wondering is we were talking about the taxis in was it korea or china China, one of those places where they replace the battery packs i wonder if so where the fuel so where the fuel cell is yeah Especially if you're the DeWalt car. If you're, you know, you got to where the fuel cell is, you just slide a big, crazy battery in the back of the car. Heck, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, bud. this well, is going to
0: be interesting.
1: Thinking ahead. Thinking yeah. ahead.
0: I don't know how. It, I've listened to the, the E, Formula E, you know, mm-hmm. that Bob Varsha announces. Um, I've listened to those races, and all you hear is the tires squeaking. Cars going by, they make a noise of sorts. Yeah, that's kind of weird, though. Isn't but it? All you hear is, is you know, going into the turns and stuff. You hear, squeak, 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 squeak. It's, I don't know. But you'll be able to talk to each other at the races anyway.
1: Well, yeah, there's that's a big plus. You wouldn't have to take the uh
0: So what we need to do is we need to come out with a headset mm-hmm. that's got engine noise in it to make the people <laughs> <laughs> happy when when they go to a race and it's got electric cars. Yeah, okay. Somebody's gonna take that and run with it. You know I'm it. telling you, you know somebody's it. gonna take it and run with it. Oh my goodness. Speaking of which, battery charges versus a battery maintainer. Now you got what, fourteen, sixteen, twenty, how many cars? Tell and- me through Jody's listening. 14 Jody's away. 14 cars 14 cars okay. How many battery maintainers have you got?
1: I've got uh four battery maintainers and three battery chargers and mm-hmm. I use a, I use them all a lot a lot So I need to get some more battery maintainers. I actually wore out a battery maintainer. I kept it on my Harley for so many years mm-hmm. that it actually uh at some point it just started flashing red the inside guts it had
0: burnt out on it so the difference though it was telling you to take your bike out and ride it once in a while yeah because this applies oh sure it's not you know it applies when i say battery maintainers and stuff like you're charging your harley up Mm. you know if 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 you live up north you're charging your snowmobile up in the winter or in the summertime summertime, because you're not using it well some guys aren't some guys get never mind some guys actually take them out in the summertime and ride them Mm. on water and stuff but oh yeah don't try that at home um but, you know, the maintainers could be any part of the country, and so could battery chargers. So go oh, ahead. Sure. Tell me the difference between well, the two. Well, the
1: difference between them is a battery charger, when you hook it up to the battery, it charges, charges the battery, but it doesn't have a brain. It's just pure electricity going in. Now, a battery maintainer is a little, uh, more. Sophisticated. Yes, and, and it actually, uh,
0: It'll clean the plates and stuff on hey, the battery. We're not, right. we're not talking about something that's, you know, 20 years old and you're trying to bring it back to life. We're talking about a battery that's in something like, like my car, your Harley, where you're not driving it all the time and, you know, you, you want to keep the battery fresh. Right. Let's assume right. you're starting with a battery that's not DOA and, you know, you're trying to keep it fresh. Exactly. And yeah. A battery charger, there are some very sophisticated ones out there mm. and, uh, that you can buy. And all of these are available, by the way, at Complete Auto Parts and right. the battery maintainers or the chargers. And uh, you can buy them. But some battery chargers, you know, that you you can jump start a car with and stuff like that, you've got to be careful because they'll cook the battery.
1: Oh, yeah. So you've got to make wanna... sure that you've got
0: the right charger for the right kind of battery.
1: Right, right, absolutely. Now, and there's another way what I use, what I do with the motorhome is...
0: Does this involve I, Coca-Cola? No, no, Okay, no. all right.
1: I just disconnect. The battery, yeah, you know,
0: but you I, can't do that on a modern car because no, you got the computers on all the time,
1: it, right? Exactly, and then it
0: starts to do crazy things. So
1: it's important to maintain them, and the battery maintainer will keep it at an even level without overcharging it and charge it as needed so that it's always ready to start.
0: Right, and you don't, you know, the the stuff that stays on doesn't discharge. So you have to reset your radio. Mm-hmm. In my case, you got to reset all the stuff that's on the dashboard. Right. That I want on there took me two days to set it up when I first got the car, um, but you know. And as
1: far as chargers go, I do have the you know the old style with wheels and you know that you hook up and. <laughs> and but I've got power grid. i got there. a couple of the new handheld. Yeah. Noco. Those brand That yeah, you can just carry them in the car with you, and they sure do come in handy.
0: Okay, have you seen? They are now illegal. <laughs> this but, is the. This is something that I didn't understand until I read into it a little bit further. The, mm-hmm. the, Caroli- the trucks the... with the Carolina squat. Carolina squat. Now do you know where that came from?
1: Yes, I do. because okay. is... I research it.
0: Okay, before it was called the California or the, the Calif- California lean. No, it, it, yeah, the North. Before it was called the squat, it was called the Calaline. Calaline, uh. which came from what? We which... looked it up. Yeah, well, California. That was it? That was your research? No, 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 no. No.
1: Because the way this started was Baja vehicles Ah. are lower in the back and higher in the front so that when they're jumping, when they're going over rough terrain and they're jumping, the back of the vehicle will hit the ground before the front of the vehicle and prevent the vehicle from getting totaled and the front suspension becoming destroyed. Much like, you know, back in our day, bud...
0: People jack up. going through roundabouts?
1: <laughs> we didn't have that. Cars were jacked up in the back with air shocks, yeah, like dragster style, so that when you got when you got on it off the line, it would squat squat down.
0: No, it was yeah. usually because we had the wrong tire and wheel combination. <laughs> it, it didn't want them to rub the
1: fenders. And but. in West Virginia, we painted the underneath of our cars white. Why? I, it was just a thing. Just a thing. It was just a thing, and the cops were forever measuring the uh, pavement to the rear bumper to try and give us tickets.
0: Well, that, this is a problem with these trucks, though, because the headlights are, you know, shining up way into up the, in the trees. trees. You
1: can't see pedestrians or no. small animals.
0: I no. think it's the dumbest looking
1: thing. But, it, it, you know, they say it depends on whose neighborhood you're in as to how stupid your car looks. <laughs> oh, they say that? They do say that.
0: Well, anyway. I
1: think it uh, was actually, I think it was Burt Reynolds that said that in the movie
0: Smokey and the Bandit. Could be. We'll have to check with Tim on that. Okay. Tim Phillips. Our, yeah, we uh, will. Smokey and the Bandit guy. Uh, but the Calilene, uh, or whatever you want to call it, the Carolina Squat, has uh, you could lose your license for a year now if you do this. If they catch you three times, you'll
1: lose your Is license. Is it three times? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah it does yeah. say three if times. If you read years. the whole article, Bud, you'll see that. If you, you get caught through you lose your license. If you read the whole article. <laughs> okay. But see. We around. always thought it was guys that could only afford
0: half, of, uh, half, of, the lift half kit. of a
1: lift kit. They were waiting for their next paycheck to get the rest
0: and, of it. And I've, I'm so far behind. You know, I'm lowering my truck. I'm looking at these, and I'm thinking, what? you lowered your truck. That was kind of so I could get in and out of the thing. <laughs> And uh, you know, I mean, it looks better too. I think I don't I think like I don't too. like all that space between the what they call tire the, uh, and the,
1: what they call dead cat space. Yeah, the tire, the yeah, space the cat between the tire and the fender. And yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Well.
0: Well, well. <laughs> I, I want to go. I want to go a little further with the Carolina squat thing. Okay. You know, Bud, when he bought his pickup truck, mm. first thing I did was, yeah, you you. Took the suspension out of the rear. I and took the suspension out of everything. Out of everything. Front. Great. I put coil overs on the front. Mm-hmm. flipped Flip the springs on the back because I want to lower it down. Yeah. And it looks good too. Well, thank you. Because I wanted it to look more like a reminiscent of the lightning trucks mm-hmm. of Yorn uh that you can't buy anymore well they have got a version coming out but the single cab short box truck i wanted to sit down a little bit okay. put some custom exhaust on it yep. you know a little bit bigger wheels mm-hmm. nothing crazy no and I, I have people say hey wait a minute where'd you get that truck you know what what version is that and I, right it's because bud's, it's bud's version everything that you've done to that truck is so very subtle like me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's what I did to the... I, I, first of all, I did a 2-4 drop on it when I bought it. Mm-hmm. Put coilovers in the front, modified coilovers that were adjustable, drops the truck two inches in the front. Okay. okay. Then, in order to get the back lower down to get rid of the, what do you call it, the dead cat space? Yes. The space between space. the tire and the... and in, the, in the, fender. the fender. Yeah. I don't want to see the box of the truck. Right. I also got... Uh, wheel liners that went in there from Ford, mm-hmm. so uh, you don't have to uh, line X or anything in there. It covers up that whole area, so you c- you can't see the frame of your truck. Okay. That's just a bud thing. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. In order to do that, I had to flip the axle, so I had to take the, the rear. I didn't take the rear end out of the truck. You don't necessarily need to do that, but I suspended the rear end, dropped the springs off the truck, put special shackles on, put it all back together, and then bolted it back together. Okay. Okay. So that all gave right. me the drop on the back. All right. Then, first time I hooked a trailer to it, it's, oh. com- it's coming down on the bump stops. Now you've got the Carolina squat more frequently than I wanted to. Well, now it really didn't squat the truck that much. It mm-hmm. still got a good suspension, but yeah. it, you could hear you could hear it coming down on the bump stops. So bump stops are rubber blocks for folks who don't know right. between your frame and your axle, mm-hmm. so you don't damage the suspension. It comes up against the the bump stops, and it can damage the rear axle if you tow things. You know, on those bump stops all the time. Okay. And I've seen trucks going down the, you know, the interstate that are on the bump stops. I oh, guarantee yeah. you yeah. with what they got. So, Bud decides to put small airbags on the back, only to be used when I'm going to be towing a trailer. Oh, sure. And occasionally, I I tow a car trailer. Mm-hmm. So, I buy a set for the, specifically for a a dropped truck, or what we call a slam truck. My truck's not really slam, but what we, we call a drop truck, okay? Mm-hmm. So I buy a set from a company. I'm not, I'm not gonna go off on the company. They're a very good company. They were, uh, you know, started out in the 1940s. I put a lot of their airbag stuff. Not so much the bags for, uh, customizing a truck, but for helping it carry more load. Right. Over, they're overload bags. Helpers. Yeah, if you yeah, yeah. will. So I buy a set that fit a slam truck, mm-hmm. and it says right on the instructions, "What it fits an or Ford F-150." Blah blah blah. So I put the truck at ride height on jack stands, take the wheels off, mm-hmm. and do all my measurements. And I lay out all the brackets, all the bag, and everything. And I got it all clamped to the truck before I drill any holes or do any welding or anything. And I call up the company and I said, "Look, I, I, you know, I've got this this truck. Mm-hmm. I got your bags." And he starts out by saying, they won't fit your truck. And I said, well, why not? He says, because they only go to 214. They change the frame in 214. 2014. Okay. And I said, well, I got it all mocked up. It looks great. All I need to know is what's the stroke on the, the what do I have to do about the stroke of the piston inside the airbag? Uh-huh. Does it need to be, you know, parallel to the spring, parallel to the, the frame? You know, mm. how are the, what's the bracketry supposed to be? And he he repeats, well, it won't work on your truckers. Look, I understand. We're being recorded. I'm not looking for a warranty. I'm just trying to solve a problem here, and I'm capable of fabricating what I need to do it. He wouldn't budge. So, finally, well, I got him to budge, finally. What he said to me was, okay, when the bag has air in it, it'll expand to so many inches uh-huh. and I wanted to know how much it would expand in diameter so it 's not rubbing a shock or something like that trying okay. to do it safely You're right, and he right. did give me that information later, well or, uh, you know, thank you, finally, yeah, but all during the conversation was you can 't do it and I asked yeah. him how many he 'd put on Ford trucks, and he told me oh i 've done a lot of them, and I was, okay. Okay. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. All right. right. but uh, ironically, the girl on the phone, because I also mentioned this uh, this to the, the tech guy that the girl on the phone. I, I told her what I was up to, mm-hmm. and she says, you know, some guys uh, do that on their mud buggies for whatever reason, and she said they have to put retaining straps on the axles so the, the axles don't extend out too far when they're doing a jump or something. Wow. I don't do jumps with my pickup truck. By the way, I just wanted you to know that. But okay. I wanted to know that if I put it up on my lift, which is a two-post lift, sure, I don't want it to rip the airbags. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, okay, I'm going to put retaining chains, rubber-coated retaining chains on my axle to, to do that. And I did. That's what they do in stock cars. It wasn't a big deal. So if you look up underneath your truck, it looks like a race truck. Well, I don't know. Got those chains got on looks, there? So, yeah, but I've, I've got them. Oh. You know, like I say, they're, they're enclosed in rubber. You'll never mm-hmm. see them. Race truck, bud. <laughs> race truck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tim, last week we were talking about uh, pulley systems for big block Fords. And I know you and me really love dragging around the junkyards trying to find brackets for engines for these oh, vehicles yeah, that we're building. Or fabricating some out of, you know, No, just eliminate got. all that. Reach mm-hmm. out to the people at Concept One. They're here in Cumming, Georgia. And if you need a kit for a 289, 302, 351 Windsor um, long or short water pump engine, they mm-hmm. have got the configuration for you. The first kit that they have with all the brackets, all the pulleys, and an alternator allows you to choose different alternators depending on how many electronics you have in your car and that kit's under 900 bucks 895 they also have a small block kit with an alternator and air conditioner again you can you can spec out your alternator you can spec out your compressor and the different finishes on it and you may need to drill your block on some of these kits because some of the the different engine blocks had different bosses on them mm-hmm. and some of the bosses aren't drilled you know when they were manufacturing they don't drill them because of what car they're going in or something right they've got the jig and everything you can put in there get the hole drilled right and get it finished off so that's for the uh, small block kit and alternator and ac or you can get the ford small block kit with the alternator and power steering if you're not putting ac in the car it allows you to choose your pump configurations and again you can upgrade your uh your alternator Long long or short water pump, and the finishers are machine-finished, polished-finished, anodized black or anodized chrome. And if you want to do the whole nine yards, as they say, yeah, do you know what the whole nine yards is all about? No. Yeah. It was a military term, I that's thought. That's your homework. I think oh, it has something to do with the, the bullets. So I, I don't know. Well, that's your homework for next week. Ford small block kit with alternator AC and power steering is just over two grand, 2045. Gives you again your power uh, steering pump configuration, power uh, flow rates, um, pressure valves, alternator upgrades, and compressor upgrades and finishes on each of these things now the okay. last car i built i did all black anodized mm, I bet uh, turn, wow the cool thing about it is black anodized and then the 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 allen bolts and everything uh-huh. were chrome and it just yeah oh, it not chrome they were pop. polished but yeah. it just it just adds uh, just a great a great look to it mm-hmm. so check out all the things they have at concept one pulley systems if you need help they have videos and you can call, and the guy that answers the phone is running the CNC machines. Yeah. So you, uh, and you can talk to the guys that are actually making this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, they can help you out. That would be And fun. save you money in the long run. Well, we thought Dan Elliott
1: overthought things, but... What are you he, saying, Tim? Uh, <laughs> on, on that truck suspension <laughs> redo, uh, you, you kind of took that... Well, out. one thing leads to another, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So I mean, it's a new truck. Well, I know, yeah. but... But I, you could make I, it better. I just took the brand new suspension <laughs> off of it. <laughs> what am I thinking? Uh, but it drives great. I'm sure it has. had does. it up in the yeah. mountains and stuff, and it, it does a, you know, it really handles well with the sway bars and stuff on it. And mm-hmm. the, you know, the lowered suspension, you move it down low. I can get in and out of the truck now. That's the biggest well, thing. Well, that's the main thing. You know, I got right. tired of, you know, the little ladder that I had to throw behind the seat. You would throw do anything
1: to not have to put running boards on your truck. I
0: am not putting running <laughs> boards on a truck. <laughs> well, this week's guest is just a great guy he is rick humphrey president of michelin raceway road atlanta and he started out in nascar now obviously road atlanta is now or michelin raceway road atlanta is now owned by nascar mm-hmm. rick started out in nascar and he's a he's a, he's a, a big baseball guy who'd oh, have yeah. thought who'd have thought right so i'm gonna let him tell the story um but here we go with rick humphrey from michelin raceway road atlanta rick welcome into bud's garage overdrive the podcast hey rick
2: Thank you so much for having me on. I've I've done uh, I think one other podcast, so uh, this is exciting. Oh, good. This is uh, i have oppor- done one in a row. A, opportunity to uh, to talk a little bit longer. Okay. Well, that's 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 the whole deal with
0: the podcast. We want to get as deep and as much information, and you know, find out about the folks that are behind uh, the business, motorsports, whether it's racing, car restoration, driving, whatever whatever interests people automotively. And uh, you know, find out a little bit about Rick Humphrey. So the first question I, I usually ask folks is, "When did the bug bite? When did the car thing get you, or was it a car thing that got you?"
2: So I, I don't, I don't know that it's ever really been a car thing. Um, so in the in the, I grew up in Eastern North Carolina, and in the late seventies, I guess it was nineteen seventy nine. In fact, I know it was 1979. Um, my parents took me to Rockingham for the, the NASCAR race. And in 1979, this small thing had happened in Daytona where Donnie Allison and Kel Yarborough wrecked coming to the checker flag and Richard Petty won. And it was it was big buzz. And so uh, it's, it's so if we have time, I'll share because it, it's uh, well, we a <laughs> yeah, good, we have time. good. So I, I recall. February 79 my granddad was in the hospital and my sister came back up and said uh because uh, she was down in the lobby watching that I'm sure she wasn't watching the race but the race was on tv and she came back and said Richard Petty just won the Daytona 500 two guys were fighting and so uh out of all that my granddad was getting out of the hospital but my dad told my mom won't you see uh when is that race at Rockingham because they had been before and my mom said I think it's in a couple weeks and so sure enough they got tickets and Went to my very first race in, in, uh, in uh, I think, probably February or March of 1979. How old were you then? Um, I would have been 10. 10 I would have been okay. 10. A and Kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, and so from there, it just kind of evolved that my family would go to six, seven races a year uh, as I was a kid. So we'd go to both races at Rockingham, both races at Darlington, went to Charlotte for both races. And then in 1980, we began going to Daytona. And we would go down for like 10 days. We would go down and, and, uh, for the qualifying and, and the, and the Bush clash and, uh, the qualifying races. So I guess what evolved out of all that was my interest in the personalities in the sport. Never was much of a Chevrolet or a Ford guy or, or, um, uh, any of that. It was more. It was more Daryl Waltrip. It was more Richard Petty. It was more the Allisons, you know, and, and, uh, and then along came Bill Elliott and, but I still always stayed true to Daryl Waltrip, you know, so that's where my, that's where my, uh, interest in the sport came. It was about statistics. It was about knowing that. Um, Richard Petty won the Daytona 500 in 1979 because two guys crashed on the backstretch, and Darrell Waltrip ran. it. So those were the things that intrigued me. That was the knowledge that I desired and the knowledge that I sought after. It wasn't that Richard Petty in '72 ran a Hemi big block or whatever. Heck, I couldn't tell yeah, right. you, you know. So it was. Uh, so my knowledge on uh, on cars to this day is still minimal, but my interest in motorsports has been in existence since I was 10 years old and I'm 53 now so it's uh it's been been quite a quite a run quite a career quite a what started as a hobby has ended up being a career
0: how did you take the hobby you know in in junior high school high school beyond when did you start to to see that you were oriented towards the people side of things, and you could make a living doing something with that?
2: <laughs> when, when I realized I sucked at baseball. Can I, <laughs> can, can I say that word? Can I say that word on the air? Sorry. Uh, but so so I... My, yes, you my, can say baseball on the okay. <laughs> air. My, my, my first love in sports, and, uh, and probably still is today, because I have a son that plays, is baseball. I just love baseball man well that's what that's what i did growing up that's what never did race i, I thought i was going to be a racer one time uh, my dad owns uh owned a construction company and um he had a guy that that raced go-karts and i won't ever forget we were at uh we were at this guy's he was a mechanic a a bulldozer mechanic and uh, my dad asked him he said uh you know what would it cost to put him in a go-kart you know what 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 kind of money are we looking at and uh I don't even remember what the dollars were, but the guy, he said, we can do it, you know. And he, he said, well, what we'll do, he said, uh, we'll go home and talk to his mom about it and, uh, and, and we'll see what she thinks. So we went home and mom's idea was a great idea. She said, well, why don't we go to, so there's a racetrack uh, called Carter County Speedway. Still exists today. They run some, uh, some of the smart modified tour and some other uh, late model races there. It's now a paved car track. Uh, paved stock car track at the time it was a dirt go-kart track so this would have been probably in the early 80s and so you could back your truck up you back your pickup up to the turn there a little little fence and uh, we sat on the tailgate and i will never forget the class the class that i would have been in the young kids (laughs) Over going into turn three, two carts hit one another, they bump tires, one cart jumps up and lands on top of the kid driving, (laughs) he he ends up going off in an ambulance, and so, so for the rest of the night when they would start the race, now we were sitting down in between turn one and two, so when they would start the race, they would go down into the turn one, and I would hide. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch. I wouldn't watch them come through the turn. And uh, so I remember going home that night. I said, "I said, so Dad, what, what do you think? Think we could do this?" And He said, "You wouldn't even watch them going into the turn." Said, so, "No, I don't think this is a good idea." I said, "Well, I can lay back. I can lay back. You know, and I can go catch." Them. So that ended my my driving career. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I'm not really sure how we got off on that, but but baseball was always my first love, and uh, was fortunate enough to go to college and and uh, and, and and walked on. And um, and uh, as a guy told me one day at Newberry, he said I should have walked off. But anyway, I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed four years of of college baseball. But it was in that time frame where I, I realized. Well, this is going to absolutely go nowhere. So if I want to if I want to be in sports and want to try to create an opportunity for a career, uh maybe I should pursue this NASCAR motorsports thing. And where I went to college um was not far from Charlotte and at that time the Charlotte Hornets were coming into existence. So they were um they were a new franchise and a fraternity brother of mine was going back and forth uh to Charlotte 3 days a week. To intern for the Charlotte Hornets. It's like, whoa, that's possible? How, how, man, that's a professional sports team. We're a little small college here. And so I asked my advisor, I said, Hey, I have this desire in motorsports. What about, uh, can you, do you know somebody at Charlotte Motor Speedway that I might could, uh, uh, intern over there in the PR department? Because my degree was in, uh, uh, journalism, communications. And so sure enough, I, I ended up, uh, getting an opportunity to, to be at Charlotte Motor Speedway for the better part of two semesters, uh, helping them in their PR department. And from there just made some contacts and connections and, uh, it kind of all evolved.
1: Well, so was that your aha moment when you said, this is my passion?
2: It was my opportunity uh, that grew into a passion, I guess you could say. So, uh, you know, and and they always say that if you turn your passion into a profession, uh, it, it maybe is no longer your passion. um, I will say there's been parts of my career where I've, I've felt that way. You know, it, it is a, it is a job. I've Mm -hmm. been fortunate to, to, uh, to do what I've been able to do. But, uh, you know, when, when that opportunity presented itself for Charlotte to intern at Charlotte Motor Speedway, there was a, uh, uh, it was my first time really in the garage area. It was my first time really around those people that I had always sat in the grandstands and watched. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool this is pretty cool so maybe it was an aha and so you know that was uh that was my introduction mm mm-hmm. now when you were in the garages were you were were these your
0: idols or were they just interesting people to you
2: uh idol may be a stretch but certainly somebody that you looked up to certainly somebody that uh you know it's like uh, you know people i guess it's more like people that you had watched you know people that you had uh sat in the grandstands it seemed so far away you know, and then, because you're sitting up here and they're down there competing, and then to be in there with them, is pretty cool. When when did
0: you learn that? You know, Richard Petty's not a whole lot different than Rick, Rick Humphrey.
2: <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, yeah.
0: different deals. But you, you, was there a time when you? These are just regular folks.
2: So probably that probably came about in the uh, in the 1993 time frame. So in '93 after a couple of years in the newspaper business as a sports writer, um, I got the opportunity to work for a company that had um the public relations account for McDonald's racing team. Okay. Yeah. So at that time Junior Johnson was the was the owner of that uh of the cars that that sponsorship was on. And so in ninety three Hut Strickland was the driver and uh and in ninety four it was Jimmy Spencer. And so at that time was when I really even in the newspaper business, you had a little bit of an idea, but they were still seemed a little bit, um, I do not say untouchable, but unapproachable. Maybe was the right word. But those those years that I spent on the PR side and uh, interacting with those guys, and then their friends would come around, and you know, so it was a, it was more of an opportunity to get to to be around them. I don't want to say best friends with them or buddy up to them, but it was a opportunity to see, you know, they were and are continue to be just regular people mr
0: excitement
2: fun stuff tell us a story or two fun stuff holy cow so really you do have a lot of time (laughs) so uh so so after 1993 so i joined that that job in um like i want to think it was april april march or april of 93 and um in 94 decision was made to uh to, to make a change uh, as from a driver's standpoint, and so that was uh, uh, when Jimmy Spencer came over at the start of the thousand nine hundred and ninety four season uh, to to drive for for junior johnson and um, his name did not uh, did not disappoint um, you know so started the season it was just really uh, they were they were had some opportunities and started the season in Daytona and things went went pretty well, but things also went kind of sideways uh literally in uh some of the funny things that uh that happened were not necessarily funny at the time but looking back on them it's great so uh talladega 94 uh again the super speedways at that time uh that that particular team and juniors teams bill elliott and jimmy spencer both had 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 some uh some really fast race cars and 94 uh jimmy was just he was up front and uh stuck the front end of the car somewhere where the hole wasn't big enough for it to go and, and created quite a quite a bit of a wreck going to uh take the green flag after a restart. I'll never forget a guy by the name of Gary Dehart was Terry Labonte's crew chief at the time and he walked he walked by by the pit and he uh he told Mike Hill, who was the crew chief of of Jimmy's car, and Gary pointed at it and he said, Let me tell you he said, uh, he said something to the effect that uh, if if somebody doesn't kick his butt—only he didn't say butt—if somebody doesn't kick his butt after this race, I will and you let him know that and that was what gary Dehart said so after the race i think jimmy finished like fourth or fifth and he was furious because nobody would draft with him uh at the end of the race and um and uh after the race back then the top five finishers would go to the gas pumps to fill up with fuel and then they go away and all all the post race and that's where all the the media would gather to get the top five finishers and uh uh, and so, so Jimmy gets out of the car. He is furious and, uh, and he's letting the media know how mad he is. And, uh, uh, when he gets out of the car, Mike, Mike Hill, the crew chief again, he said, uh, he said, he said, calm down. He said, I just want to warn you. He said, there's not a soul over there in that garage area that doesn't want to kick your butt. He said, because you, <laughs> you, you haven't made any friends. So as Jimmy, uh, as Jimmy is standing, Jimmy has a, Jimmy's family support was always tremendous. Oh, yeah. his, his family would always he had I think four uh, four or five siblings. His mom and dad were always at the race and um and Jimmy's dad was feisty. Oh, he was a feisty and uh Ed, Ed was his name and uh we're standing there and uh he said uh Jimmy was doing an interview and and something was said and he said there wasn't a soul out there with me today. There wasn't a soul out there that would draft with me today. I don't know anybody here that would have draft with me. And Jimmy's dad piped up and he said, oh, Jimmy, I I would have drafted with you if I was out there. And Jimmy stopped the interview and looked at his dad and said, I've raced with you before. No, you wouldn't. (laughs) 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 So it was uh, that was quite quite the experience and quite the went on to win a couple races that year. The only two that he ever won, the only two that uh, that that car ever won. And uh, uh, so won the 94.0 what was in the pepsi 400 at daytona and then went on to win in talladega a couple weeks later back when they still raced in in uh, in the summer at talladega so uh he won those two races lots of lots of it was it was very neat because uh for the fourth of back in the day um for the fourth of july race uh uh you would, the race was in the morning and you would, you'd be back at the beach at, you know, early afternoon. And, uh, that particular trip, junior would allow his, his crew to take spouses to, to Daytona. And they, and it was quite, we had a lot of fun after, after the race, after the win, And, uh, it was a, it was neat to celebrate that, and then of course Jimmy was driving in a an Arca Road Course race somewhere in, in the Midwest, and he had to leave immediately after the, the all the winners' obligations were over. But uh, but yeah, he did win two races that year. Another funny story: we were getting in uh, at Daytona; they take you up to the press box for the post-race interviews, and uh, after getting going through the winner's circle or the the victory lane celebration, we all pile into this police car, security car, to go up. To the press box and uh jimmy's son was probably i don't know he was maybe five or six years old little jimmy's what they called him and uh he said uh little jimmy said dad where are we going what's going on and uh he said he pointed up to the top of the grandstands where the press box is he says we're going up there son to the press box that's where they take the winner after the race you've never been there before son and little jimmy looked at him and said dad you haven't either
0: <laughs> like father like son. Now, it's interesting you, you you say that he you know he did uh, won a couple races after that daytona talladega who started drafting with them after <laughs> after never drafting with them how did he
2: get drafters so for he, those racetracks so so uh, daytona uh, for that July race, he and Ernie Irvin broke away. And so there was just a two car, two car battle towards the end. And, uh, Jimmy made a move. I can't remember. I want to think he did something coming out of turn two, but he won by inches. It was a very, very close finish. And, uh, so there was really no drafting help needed. He just kind of figured out a way to, to get Ernie, get around Ernie. And then at Talladega, if I recall correctly, uh, he and Bill were up front and, uh, he was able to make a pass on Bill. Uh, several laps from the end, and ended up holding them off. So he didn't didn't uh, didn't need much drafting help. And I don't know that Bill helped him around him much uh, or helped him. But oh, no. But he was able to hold off, hold him off until just, he just until had he, enough car and enough nerve. He always had the nerve. Oh yeah, I always <laughs> had the nerve.
0: What got you from from there to Talladega? Tell us the the steps from you know working with Jimmy and getting along the way
2: to Talladega.
0: Yeah, so super
2: speedway. So uh RJ Reynolds back when they were involved in, in the sport with their Winston brand and Camel brand, smoking Joe's, um they had an opportunity in their sports marketing enterprises. And um back then if if uh if you could get on at at, at sports marketing enterprises, everybody knew that, that was that was a, a, a cool job. It was a good job. It was uh uh they had big budgets, they had you you know, your salaries were were okay. And again, I was in my early twenties, so I guess I'm, I'm I'm I should say it was good. So you're early
0: twenties, single and you know, doing Uh your deal.
2: yes, I was okay. I was single. And it was uh it was uh and they also had budgets to go do fun stuff. You know, like you could go uh entertaining was a big deal. Right. And you, you could take media places and and you could load the drivers up and go do things. And so spent a couple years there uh uh in ninety guess was 95 and 96 but i'll tell you the thing that really it's where i first saw my uh that's where i first uh saw a motorcycle race never been to a motorcycle race never so i go to mid ohio and and again at that time rj reynolds had uh uh, the Smoke and Joe's race team. So they had a, a, stock car in NASCAR. They had a funny car and a top fuel dragster in yeah. NHRA. They had a hydroplane boat. They had a, um, and then they had a couple. That of was th- a Winston era, right? Uh, it was, it was, it had some Winston at one time and then it, uh, it was Smoking Joe's for a while. They, they changed brands, okay. uh, but very similar programs. So they had two, uh, two, two motorcycles and they would, uh, two motorcycle teams. They run the Superbike and they run the 600 class. And so I go to Mid Ohio for this first motorcycle race, and I'm standing in, a, I think it was the press box or anyway, whatever it was, I was overlooking the front stretch. And about that time, I look down, and here comes this body just flailing down the front stretch, hay bales going everywhere, and I'm going, eyes wide open. And I asked the person to stay I was like, How often does that happen? He's all oh, pretty frequently, and I'm like, Holy cow! <laughs> That's when I realized. You got, you got race car drivers and you got motorsports guys, and then you've got motorcycle racers and there there's, so both, both categories have a lot of nerve, but I give the nod to the motorcycle guys. <laughs> uh, so it was, that uh, was a neat time. I was there, uh, for a couple years and, uh, and in 90, uh, late 96, early 97, got the opportunity to, to move to Alabama and, uh, and, and work in, uh, head up the PR department at, uh, I use that word department loosely because I think it was me and, uh, uh, and an administrative assistant, um, and uh, so I was there from '97 to 2010. And and uh, what a just uh, great place! I, I uh, fond fond memories of of Talladega and the fun and the agony and the the stuff that you would go through. Just you could prepare. I mean. Prepare, prepare, and prepare for what the media may want, what the fans may want, and us every time they would trick you. They would come up with something you never thought of, and whether it was a fan or media, it was just it was it was a lot of neat stories, a lot of fun.
0: How did you deal with the infield folks at Talladega? I've been to several races at Talladega with the campers and and all that.
2: Well, there was a time. Was interesting. There was a time where you tried to quell it, and then there was a time you just chose to embrace it. <laughs> so, <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> funny story. My boss at the time, uh, uh, he, uh, he 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 was he was going to clean up the infield. Uh-huh. He, he was gonna. He was uh-huh. going to. You, you can't do that. That's what uh-huh. that was his message. So he went in there and he went in there and he uh, said he stopped this guy. And said, "Hey, you can't do that." The guy said, Well, says who? Says me. Well, who are you? He said, Well, I'm I'm Grant Lynch. I'm the track president. Okay. So he pulls out his business card and hands him his business card, and the fan looks at him. He says, Anybody can have those printed. Grant, Grant said, Well, doesn't look like we're going up there far here. It turns out walks off.
0: <laughs> so,
2: so that didn't go very well. Uh, but yeah, just uh, you know, it uh it's part of the experience. It's, it's what it what it grew to be and what it has grown to be. It's not what it once and I, I haven't been over there in years. I, I left there in two thousand ten. And um even during my time there, you know, you saw it uh they had fun and and but it wasn't the stories that you heard when the track first opened either. And that was one of the things that we fought when I was there is that so Birmingham was always a challenge to get uh get Birmingham to embrace whether it be the corporate community whether it be the fans to embrace Talladega because of things that had happened there you know early on and people as you sport grew as the facility grew as the as the uh uh, enhancements were made you were still fighting that stigma for lack of better words um that history and I always said uh, uh even even at michelin raceway road atlanta you know it's a 50 plus year old facility it has a history which is, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a 50-year-old facility. It has a history, which is not always a good thing. You know, so you, you fight it from both sides. It's, uh, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, Bud and I were talking about that before you came in, about some of the history of Road Atlanta.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – uh, we, uh, we had a driver come out, um, I guess it was a couple, a couple years ago. Each year we host the South Hall Business Coalition um, prior to Petit Le Mans and uh, – Uh, Are fortunate enough to get a local driver to come out and talk about the sport, talk about their history. And this particular, uh, this particular driver began to go down the path of, uh, talking with, uh, oh gosh, um, I'm drawing a blank on, on who he had had on his podcast, uh, Randy Lanier, I think it was. And so we all, we all know the history of, of, uh, uh, of, of Randy, um, both on and off the track. And, um, and so he began to tell, tell this group of business people south hall business coalition about Uh about the past and i'm like wow
1: (laughs) we don't need that here now
2: wow so i had to clear the air after we uh after we after he uh gave me back the microphone
0: (laughs) those were definitely different times (laughs) Uh, uh, indeed indeed things were different Mm -hmm. so next week what we're going to do is we're going to sit down with rick and we're going to talk about uh things the way they are today in the racing industry And how they've kind of morphed from uh, the Talladega infield days to um, all the PC stuff we see nowadays. Right. All right. Okay. It'll Uh, be interesting. It will be interesting. I guarantee it will be interesting. You know what is interesting? We're always talking about year one on the uh, not only the podcast here, uh, but on our show. And, uh, you know, if you've got a classic car and you're doing restoration of it, you need to be talking to year one about, uh, you know, the... uh, parts you need for it right and they have got a news flash sort of kind of uh, they've got new center caps for their snowflake wheels mm-hmm. which would be the trans am you know wheels right but uh, we've talked about this many times where you clean up your wheels you get everything spiffy looking and you can't do anything with the center caps because uh, they're not around mm-hmm. and you can't rebuild them or do anything with them well they've got a vendor now that is doing chrome and gold and black center caps For the Snowflake wheels. Okay. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for wheels to jazz up your car, and it doesn't have to be Snowflake wheels, you can get, you know, the the wheels, the billet wheels that are 17, in some cases 18s, 19s. I think they now have a 20-inch wheel for different applications to update your car to modern tires and a modern look. Okay, And uh, they've got a special on these Snowflake center caps right now. Uh, if you go to their website and check it out, they have got a ton of them, and so check them out at yearone.com. dot com. And if you're here in Georgia, go and see them in Cornelia. Oh yeah, yeah, they got great people to know, great stuff that they got going on. All right, Tim, we had a. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into something here that came about because of a caller on our radio show. Oh, actually, a Facebook participant on the on the radio show Mm -hmm. they reached out to us and they said they'd been to the dealership and they the dealer told them they needed cv joints okay all right do you know what a cv joint is yes i do okay what's the difference between that and the u-joint
1: oh well the cv joint is usually correct me if i'm wrong that's usually on a front wheel drive car right the joint that connects
0: the transmission to the drive wheel right Correct. And one thing that the front wheels do that the drive shaft doesn't have to do is steer. Steer. So it's mm-hmm. changing directions. It, it's, it can go into more angles more efficiently than you can with the U-joint. Now, back in the day, we used to have U-joints on things like Corvettes mm-hmm. and old uh, four-wheel drive trucks and stuff that had a straight axle. You know, where the U-joint was, it, it'd be up front, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal back yeah. then. But on these front-wheel drive cars, you've got all this weight, you've got all this torque, you've got all this stuff going on, and it's got to be able to articulate in a 360-degree plane all the time as mm. you're turning and stuff like that. So universal joints are, are more commonly used uh, <clears throat> where you just have a limitation of movement, like a steering shaft. Yeah. You know, you've got to, it's, yeah, it's at an angle, but it's not at a huge angle if you've got a steering shaft. A lot of cars now are drive-by-wire. Uh you know on the on your truck on a rear wheel drive truck or rear wheel drive car you know your your back axle is only going up and down sure and if you have the angles right on both ends of the driveshaft uh, it's not going to give you any problems now if the vehicle gets longer mm-hmm. you may have to have more uh u joints in it right in order to accommodate that driveshaft being so long and you may actually have something um that's that is it's kind of a it's called a cardon joint, all right? And let me let me get all my technical stuff. A cardan joint is like two U-joints mm-hmm. with a piece in between it, all right? A, a cast piece, cast iron. First time I ran into one of these things, it was on my dad's Buick back in the 60s. Yeah. Now, he took it apart. I wouldn't recommend taking it apart because it's spring-loaded. It's got a bunch of parts in it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, dad was you know, kind of like me or I'm kind of like dad. Take it apart and see how it works. Right. And it was kind of miserable to change. Now you can buy the joint and just put it in. But a Cardon joint is something that they use on these off-road vehicles where they're going to get to extreme angles, mm-hmm. and it's very strong. Now, it's not suitable to use on a front-wheel drive because it doesn't have the articulation, even though they're strong. But it's a, it's a, it's a different way of using a simple joint on something that's a rock crawler or doesn't get as involved as yeah. CV joints. So back to the CV joint. The CV joint, uh, the technical name for it is a Rezeppa joint, has a gear in the center of it, and it has a articulating balls in it, five or six of them. And as you're turning in that, it is able to articulate and take all the forces. Now, going back to the cardan joint for just a second, the cardan joint was used on a lot of vehicles that have high torque like trucks, like big Buicks, like stuff back in the 60s. The Rezeppa joint is a little more intricate, and you usually have one at each end of the axle coming mm-hmm. out of your transfer case or your, your front-wheel drive to your wheel. And so you have one at each end. So first of all, this person said they needed a CV joint, and the shop they went to suggested they get both CV joints. Not bad advice. Mm-hmm. However... If it were me, because there, we used to replace these joints regularly when I was in the dealership, we would replace just the outboard joints because they're the ones that get, take the most motion. Right. Now, these joints are covered with a rubber boot, mm-hmm. so if they dry out, the grease falls out of them. They're not greasable. They dry out. We used to replace the boots in some cases if the joint wasn't ruined. Nowadays, it has become very common, you go to, you know, your local parts store, in our case, that would be Complete Auto Parts and CarQuest, and you get the axle assembly. Oh, so you buy the whole thing? You and buy it's the already... whole thing and install it. It's so much easier, and mm-hmm. you know, yes, it costs more, but you've just repaired the inner, the outer, and you've got a new axle shaft. Right. And you got new boots. It's probably a lot easier to change out as an assembly, too, right? It really is. It really mm-hmm. is. It's. It's. You got to get into the front end pretty deep. Yeah. You know, because you got to get the brake rotor, the brakes, everything out of the way and articulate it up so you can pop out the the drive shaft or the axle. Then you pop a new one in. But compared to taking that off, putting it on the bench, and putting joints on each end, mm-hmm. you know, you've probably saved a couple hours on each side of the car. So it's
1: uh, you take off the. Uh disc brake rotor
0: you got to take off well you've got to you've got to disconnect the lower ball joint
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: um uh, you don't necessarily have to take off in some cars you don't have to take the rotor completely off you just got to articulate it up and out of the way okay because it's splined in between it mm-hmm. if you can get the brake hoses and everything to come with it and that's swell yeah but you know on some of these cars with struts you got a lot of things in the way sway I bars see. and stuff like that so if you can get it out of there you know, it's it's not terrible once you've got the hole to shoot it into. Mm-hmm. It just pops out with a pry bar, and, and a, there's a C clip on it, an internal C clip. Pop it out, put a new one in. You might l- you lose a little fluid out of the transaxle itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you fill it up, and you're you're good to go. Um, and you can still buy boot replacements for these if you've got one that's broken a boot. The thing that wears these things out so bad is getting dry and losing grease. Mm. Once they get dry and lose grease, and that's climate, that's all about climate. Yeah. You know, if it's hot out, the boots dry out, and they crack, and, you know, they get bad. And you can usually, if you're having your car inspected, um, you know, somebody's got it up near, they're doing brakes and stuff, they can see that. It'll start to leave a grease Mm. trail. And once it does that, it's toast. That's it. You know what's fascinating to me, Bud,
1: is when you talk about you got to take the little clip out. When you're driving your car at 80 miles an hour, do you ever think about that little
0: clip? Well, it can't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the axle can't go anywhere once the lower ball joint's hooked back up because mm-hmm. it can't go anywhere. Right. But it is just a little tiny clip. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it's like a hairpin type, thing. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, it's uh, it's enough to hold it in while it's going down the assembly line, basically, and that's all it really needs to do. Okay, because it's splined, it ain't it ain't going anywhere. Yeah, it's it's, not going it's, anywhere. it's into a drive situation. Mm-hmm. U joints are a different thing. U joints uh, actually you can grease u joints most of them, mm-hmm. but the stronger u joints don't have a grease fitting in them. right. Because as soon as you put a grease fitting in it, you've just cross-drilled the joint so it's hollow inside. Okay. So First, now it's weaker. So now it's weaker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there are two different ways of doing the same thing and making shafts, articulating that. It's kind of like U-joints you use on your wrenches. Yeah. You know, so uh, rear-wheel drive, front-engine rear-wheel drive stuff is going to have U-joints on it. Mm. Other stuff is going to have CV-joints on it. But I would I would suggest to this person that you get both sides changed and you get the entire assembly changed oh yeah and the next thing is how much does it cost well it costs however yeah whatever it costs whatever it's, it costs right. I mean, you can't and while you're in there maybe it's
1: time to rebuild the front suspension or
0: well know. wheel bearings maybe yeah. the front wheel bearings mm-hmm. uh because they take a beating on the front of it, uh, these front wheel drive cars carrying so much weight sure. but again if you've got a technician who knows what he's looking at he can, when you have a wheel bearing going, it, it's a different situation, but when you have a wheel bearing going, it starts to deposit a lot of metal around that area of the car. Okay. So you can see that and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. take care of it. All right. All right. CV Joints. Yeah. Yeah. U-Joints. Wow. Songs <laughs> I Learned Upon My Mother's Knee and a few other joints. That's That'll be the next album. Okay. CV Joints, U-Joints beer joints yeah all that kind of yeah. stuff uh rick humphrey uh great interview with him mm-hmm. uh i and i i enjoy his company when we're together around the racetrack and um you know he's he, we're gonna have him back on again because there's always stories to tell oh yeah and if you get a chance to go to Petit le mans uh at road atlanta the it start the race is on the fourteenth but the you know the events start on the eleventh man get a ticket go make the trip it's an international event right and you can get up and up close and personal with the drivers you can you know you can get in the pits it's it's a whole different it's a it's a it's a circus i mean it it is an event a festival sure. a motoring oh, right. festival that's the word I was looking for okay. not circus but motoring festival <laughs> okay we got some thank yous to do. Of course, we need to thank Jacobs Media and uh, DJ Bill. DJ Bill, you know why we call him DJ Bill? Why? Tell us, Bill. Well, Bud, my other my other gig is program coordinator for DJ Trivia, or a nationwide family friendly TV uh, rather trivia service, general knowledge trivia, and we are. Playing a game in a location near you. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, check us out on djtrivia.com and find out where our our latest game is going to be played. And if you're in North Georgia, you just might find me hosting it as well. Well, we don't want to miss it then. Absolutely. You guys have missed it so far, though, faithfully every week. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Busy guys. What can I tell you? All right. Some thank yous. Uh, no, we don't have any more thank yous. We have lots <laughs> of more thank yous. We thank Bill. want to thank Bill. Let's go back to Jacobs Media, the studio we're in. Uh, you know, the great the great sound they give us every week, and um, the folks that work here are good folks to work with. Of course, year one, muscle car restoration folks. Right. Lanier Technical College mm-hmm. and Concept One Pulley Systems, who keep Jim, keep Tim and I out of the junkyards. Oh, Right. Uh, great people, great products, and uh, great folks to work with. I want to thank Tim for hanging out with Whoa. me and doing this every week. Glad is, to do it. Thank is, you, bud. This is good fun. Next week will be part two of Rick Humphrey, talking talking uh, more specifically about Petit Le Mans, but he's got some interesting uh, uh, insights into NASCAR also, and I'll ask him my goofy question about racing everybody at Rogue Atlanta and, Okay. know, mm-hmm. he'll, okay. he'll tell you what he thinks <laughs> of so that. In the meanwhile, keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here at Bud's Garage Overdrive Podcast.